Welcome to episode 294 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview the Pacific Championships, finals, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 294 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you going this week? Well, Dr. T, I'm a little spooked uh, by all the, uh, you know, spiritual activity that is uh, starting to, like, well, I don't know, engulf the streets of Australia, even though we're not American. But uh, I suppose, do we say happy Halloween to everybody out there? Happy Halloween. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. And 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 let's we, we are not going to get into an argument, Tish, about whether it's an Australian tradition or not. It's as Australian mm. as as taking the day off on the Melbourne Cup Day, which is next week, by the way. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yes. To me, Halloween is as Australian as that. It's, it's wow. all about getting dressed up. Going knocking on strangers' doors mm. and 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 um, threatening them with violence in order to get sweets and lollies. It's, is, is there nothing more traditionally Australian than that? I, I yeah, tell you. yeah. Well, we've got to keep you know uh, local brands like Spotlight in business. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, so and, and um, face paint will is flying off the shelves or has fl- flown off the shelves. And uh, mm. we'll do so for only one or two days just before Halloween each year. But, yeah, look, um, surprising to see that, you know, there's no Mad Monday mm. Halloween theme going on yeah. with certain um, certain clubs. I mean, you you know, you definitely like the Dragons, yep. yeah. the Bulldogs, the Tigers. Yep. I mean, it's Absolutely. surely they've got enough depressed faces to, yeah. to sort of make it happen, make it come to life. Well, I did hear Benji Marshall was trick or treating dressed up as the board, and uh, <laughs> and, and unfortunately could not get any candy because people people were just too scared um, that that some some people even resigned just seeing the board come around the corner. Well, I did, I did, yeah, I did sort of see your your CEO. Um, I thought he was dressed up as. In a Halloween outfit, it turns out that's just his normal, <laughs> yeah, normal right. wear. But anyway, um, <laughs> and and look, and we did see Jerome Luai out on the streets of Penrith, uh, and and the rest of Sydney actually with his uh, with his hat out. But I think he was more looking for a bigger salary. I think that's what he wanted. Mm. He, he didn't he didn't mm. want lollies. He just said, uh, "Please, sir, can I have some more?" He just wanted more yeah. money than what Penrith is offering him. But look. You know, let's keep in uh, keep in touch with that story because Jerome Luai mm. is not yet signed with the Panthers, but we shall yeah. see what happens. Well, he would get a bigger contract at Penrith as long as his dad becomes the coach. I think that's that, that's the way to get the big dollars in Penrith. So <laughs> that's right, that's right. Unless your name is Arthur, in which case you have to go to Manly to to play a game. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. 
Look, let's um, let's get into it. We, the focus today is really on the Pacific Championships and the finals. We've had a few excellent games that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. And then we've got a little bit of a surprise later in the show. We're gonna we're gonna unearth uh, let's let let's say an unearth a club that is trying to get out of hibernation. I'll leave that clue there. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But look, let's launch into tackle number one, where we review week three of the Pacific Championships. Here we go. Um, we had two games in the men's, one in the women's, and we may as well also talk about the international test with England and Tonga. But let's start with the men. So in the Pacific Cup uh, table, we had Australia and New Zealand who uh, have topped the table. And it was a, well, I wouldn't say a demolition, but it was very much a first-class performance from the Australian Kangaroos uh, beating the New Zealand Kiwis 36-18. to it was a similar lopsided affair, although probably a little bit more lopsided, I would think, when Fiji defeated PNG 43-16 to 16, uh, on the Sunday. In the women's game, we saw the New Zealanders triumphing over the Australian Jillaroos 12 points to 6. That was a really close and interesting game. And then we saw um, England. Uh, wrapping up the series 2-0 against Tonga with a 14-4 victory in Game 2. So, look, let's launch into first the, uh, uh, I guess, the Australian and New Zealand one. So I'll just quickly bring up the uh, the stats here from, uh, you know, we love our stats from NRL.com. Of course, we're not sponsored by them, but that's where we get all our stats from. Um if we look at, uh, well, hang on a minute. I got it wrong. Here we go. Let's go to that one. All right, six tries to three. 36-18, the Kangaroos defeating the Kiwis in front of 20,000 at Amy Park on the Saturday night. Six tries to three, a double to Lindsay Collins. Uh, Valentine Holmes, Dylan Edwards, Ben Hunt, and Cameron Murray also scored. And for New Zealand, Brighton Nikora, Ronaldo Molitalo, and Farmanu Brown scored tries it was 18 12 at half time so the kiwis you know um <laughs> definitely in it uh but you know then they went down 18 points to six in the second half so i don't i'm not sure michael Maguire will be too happy with that second half performance i think 18 12 was a fair um kind of assessment of that first half the kangaroos were just ahead but the kiwis were nipping at their heels but unfortunately the kiwis of old uh turned up when we look at the stats it's um you know it obviously shows well it actually showed it quite a close game <laughs> there was the stats actually favored australia in most of the big uh stats but they weren't too different i mean even where there, there were differences tackle breaks 30 to 22 in favor of australia average set distance was only like one meter more 44 to 43 um mm. favored the Kiwis dummy passes 6-2 in favor of the Aussies but you look at all the stats so let me this I always like doing this Tish when we look at just the stats I like sort of pretending I don't know who won this game but I'm looking at the stats and I'm trying to paint a picture in my mind of what happened and and you look at it and actually the Kiwis weren't so bad um you know Mm. 
Australia actually had more errors and more ineffective tackles. You know, yeah. um, I the stats tell a story where it was actually a really tight, close game, but that is of course not what ended up happening. <laughs> so I guess. I guess I'm and, and I'm struggling to find a stat that really uh, is a smoking gun stat. The only one I can see is really kick return meters. You know, 214 versus 149, way in favor of Australia. Um, you know, what other ones I'm looking at? Kicking meters was pretty good as well. I mean, you can't really say they had a much better kicking game. Run meters, probably that's where that where it got them. It was a few more. Uh, you know, 1730 to 1490. So I guess, you know, in terms of uh, actual metres run, that, that you know, but line breaks was only seven to three. But I guess what matters is if those line breaks get converted to points, that's really what matters. And and I think for me, the story is Australia, as per usual, find a way to just take advantage of every opportunity and not squander opportunities. And I think that was kind of uh, what we saw. But the other story i think from my perspective and i'll hand over to you tish is that it's about what they call the one percenters um i looked at someone like joey manu who was in my mind really disappointing he uh he was he looked a bit lazy in defense he rushes up out of the line unnecessarily um you know gets beaten easily and doesn't doesn't do the one percent of chasing and and has uh, hustling to get the ball back or to get the defender um you know and and also pushes some silly passes, uh, puts mm. his wingers in a difficult position. I don't know what's going on with Joey Manu, but lost the plot, I think. Um, I think Michael Maguire needs to do something about Joey Manu. Maybe I think there's been rumours of switching him to fullback, but then how do you get rid of Nickel Klogstad and uh, you know that's or move him around in a, in an awkward position? I, d- I don't think that's the way to go either. But look. Full credit to Australia, and I have to say, one of the stats that really um, that that I saw that Cameron Murray with his try, with literally one minute to go or twenty seconds to go, um, broke or equaled the record. Sorry, equaled the record for an Australian forward who, uh, since Ron Coote, this record has not been uh, equaled. Uh, mm. Ron Coote in the sixties, where. An Australian wow. forward, six games, six test matches in a row uh, where he has scored at least one try. Cameron Murray, well done. I mean, it looked like that, yeah. that record was uh, not going, but at the very last minute he scored uh, off a Nico Hines' excellent pass to find it, find him in the gap. Ran all the way, I think it was 20 metres or so, and scored a pretty good try. Well done, Cameron Murray. I mean, that's uh, full credit to you. <laughs> you did a great job there. Um, and and it's it's great to be able to match the records of some of the greats of all time, especially from the 60s from so long ago. Tish, I'll stop talking. What say you about this game? Yeah, well, just a quick comment on what you just mentioned. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm guessing since it's stood in Ron Coote's era, you're probably talking before even the introduction of six tackle sets, right? You might have even had four tackle sets or even unlimited tackles right so a completely different game um and 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 to do that, that that's absolutely amazing but look i think um i feel like the australians had it all under control throughout the whole game right um i feel like they really do understand their defense 
Um, there were some errors on the Australians' part. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a completely perfect game. You know, they had, like, some debutants and so forth. But overall, I, I just felt like they kind of, um, you know, had the game in the bag from the start. Like, you know, I mean, and then, like, speaking of the start, like, you know, we've got to go back to the Harker standoff, right? Uh, I had no idea what was happening. Um, you know, I started tapping the uh, the remote to see if the if if the television had frozen right. You know, because <laughs> they stopped doing the Harker, and, and then and then and then look uh, look, I was listening to the Fox commentary, and uh, you know, I was like, oh, this is great. This is like, you know, like so much tension and everything. I was like, that it feels really silly for me. I don't know. I just, I yeah, I don't know what happened there. And then and then Ben uh, Saka he overcooked the. The first kick, right? So it goes out on the full massively as well. Uh, puts Australia straight onto the offense, right? And then, you know, a few sets later, um, they were able to... to. I mean, Valentine's... It was such a great uh, kick. I think it was Tedesco kicking the ball and then uh, Valentine's home scoring. And then, you know, on the other side of things, so it's just like every time Australia had an opportunity, they were able to convert. On the flip side, I felt like the whole night... New Zealand kind of struggled a lot in their attack in terms of being able to get across the line. I think, I mean, one of the one of the tries they scored was just basically a dummy half uh, try, which is great because you know you uh, you know you sort of catch the defence napping, but also at the same time you're you're kind of saying, well, you know, where's your where's your set plays? Where's your off the cuff plays? Like, um, you know, they got some two really good players like uh, Dylan Brown and. Uh, and Jerome Hughes, like you know, they're they're very creative players. They looked amazing against Samoa, but they, I think, they failed to combine as well as what they did in the previous week. So something for them to work on. And it's kind of interesting, right? We've seen a tendency of most of these teams throughout these series of Test matches kind of improve uh, their continuity. But I feel like New Zealand were like more clunky this week than what they were the prior week against Samoa. So I don't know whether they got in each other's nerves, but whether there was like, you know, maybe two, maybe they overthought them, themselves. Um, Cause it, it, there was definitely a bit more of a, a frenziness to what they were trying to do. And, and not really, a, not really a pure game plan. Right. Um, I, like, I just felt like they kind of lacked that a little bit. So I'm not too sure what it was. Um, and look, and I think the other thing that that you know is a bit of a factor is this game uh, is going to be the exact same game they're going to play this week at the finals. That and both teams knew that before beforehand. So now they're going to play in the final, and I just wonder how um, you know whether New Zealand were experimenting with a few things, um, whether they really w- weren't sure on how to approach this match as much. Um, you know, they certainly practiced their haka. Like I felt that their haka was was like there, but I think that they, they didn't seem to bring the same intensity as what they had in the Harker into the actual game a little bit. So, um, you know, and, you know, for Australia, I think Australia, like, you know, Big Mal, one thing I've got to say about Mamaniga, he does really well uh, with representative teams in terms of debuting players. Um, so you look at Nico Hines, how he debuted for New South Wales versus how he's debuted for Australia, and he mm. looks like a completely different player. Um, Absolutely, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he even had some try assists. So I think the way, and just like there's, there seems to be a team, you know, they all want to play for Australia. They've got the team camaraderie. So I think, I think Mel Meninga, I mean, um, 
you know, I think that's why Queensland have found their success when he was coached. But I think Australia's finding a similar sort of success in just, you know, him bringing back a little bit more of the prestige of the Kangaroos jersey and, and really wanting players to represent. I mean, um, you've got two players who have played for Samoa that are now playing for the Kangaroos this year. So it's kind of... Uh, you know, he's kind of like uh, turning back the clock on the Pacific Revolution that we've had in rugby league of recent years, where he's he's really, met, yeah, he's made the kangaroo jersey mean something again. Which, you know, I think I think maybe, you know, in previous regimes that kind of was put to the fore- background. But yeah, but it, I, I thought Australia they couldn't have had a more perfect sort of round, and it's going to be interesting now this week because obviously they've got some players coming back. So I don't know how that's going to make up the team. Um, and for New Zealand, look. Yeah, they were disappointing. I think they could play better. I think they know that. Like, I think this is just a learning curve game. Um, but the reality is they've got to realise that scoring against Australia is never going to be easy, right? Um, so you're going to have to be on the whole time. And, you know, I know we looked at the stats, but I think you know, Australia can afford to have, uh, you know, a completion rate in the 80s, right? But I don't think New Zealand can. I feel like New Zealand, they shouldn't. Ma- they need to do better than the better than the Australians. I think they felt like they could match the Australians, but it's not about matching. It's actually about beating the Australians. So I think, you know, the the thing that stands out for me in the stats, in most of the stats, um, yes, it is even. But you know, uh, you know, Australia playing to their potential and Kiwis playing to the potential. I think Australia is going to win. I think what where the Kiwis have to do to play well is is they actually need to do better than the Australians in everything um, and that's that's yeah and you know what Michael McGuire is a, I think a good coach to try and coach that into them that hey you know what there's a we've got to be better at the play the ball we've got to be better at the set of six we've got to be let more disciplined uh, because we're not going to be, be able to beat the Australians by being less than in any area so um, but look this week they're at home as well so anyway we'll, we'll talk about the preview in, in a moment anyway yeah, I, I just want to. I completely agree with everything you said. I think the Mal Meninga thing is very interesting. Um, mm. I wonder if that's got a lot to do with you know. You would think Brad Fiddler was you know famously a golden boy, golden child. You'd think someone who went who was lauded from a very young age would be very aware and cognizant of of how to bring in debutants like a Nico Hines or whatever. It seems like he hasn't done that, which is very interesting. But I think the reason why Mal's better at that is he, you know, the captain, the best, one of the best Australian kangaroos captains of all time, you know, knows what it's like to mentor. And I think that's the difference. And, you know, you don't lose that when you're a coach. In fact, it's one of the most essential requirements of being a good coach. And especially if you have a limited amount of time to bring people on board to your project, to your, your paradigm, whatever it is, especially in an international level, you know, there's a lot less, there's a lot less going on in terms of pre-match hype in these international matches than there is, say, in State of Origin. You know, and you know, also match fitness. These these players, a lot of them are at their end of their season. A lot of them didn't play in the final, so you've got to bring everyone up to speed and to play at their optimum level for their country. And you, your hope is that you don't need to motivate them. And but if you've got someone like Mal, um, he can make sure that you know those who are new and who are overawed by the occasion can be brought in. And I think Nico did a great job. He um, has some defensive liabilities to be sure, but he uh, he definitely made up for it in terms of his running game and his and his passing to to Cameron Murray for that try 
was brilliant. I mean, you know, he basically set up that try. Um, and so it was it was really, uh, you know, really good. So good point about Mal. Um, one thing I want to say to finish off is, as an Eels fan, I, I, I was wondering whether Dylan Brown got... Um, got his court attendance notice earlier than 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 we expected because he went missing for that entire game. I I you're talking about the combination with Jerome Hughes. What combination? Jerome Hughes seemed to try mm. everything. And I was like, where's Dylan Brown here? What's going on? Is he injured? At one point I genuinely thought he had he got injured and I I must have sneezed or something and missed missed him going off the field. But no, he was there. He just wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And and that, to me, you know, was more more shocking than seeing yeah. Manu try too hard and completely fail. Um, is Dylan Brown is in the position where he has to make it happen for the outside backs, and he did not. He virtually did nothing. So that I'm very disappointed as a Neils fan. I'm one of his biggest fans and think he's got so much potential. But you know, without a Sean Johnson in this side, you need one of the other two to step up, and none mm. of them did. Jerome tried, but he is, let's be fair, he overplayed his hand a little bit. I think Michael Maguire needs to sort of sit them down and say, here is what your role has to be and don't deviate yeah. from that. Don't try too hard. Um, but anyway, that, we'll talk about that later. I, I think Kieran Foran has to be the, the the call maker on the field or something because I think Jerome and Dylan both have a similar sort of game. Like They're both running plays, you know what I mean? Like, And I think... I think probably the best organizers yeah. probably here, and so I think I think there is something just not right. And I, th- you know, this personality is a big thing. I, and I don't really know their personalities, but but I do get this feeling that you know th- there are some people that you sort of you pl- the more you play together or the more time you spend with that person, uh, the more the more the bond builds. But there are other people where just their personality type, the less time you spend with them, the better it is, and. I think the latter might be true for some of these New Zealand players with each other. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be the case. That could be the case. Yeah, something, yeah, anyway. I mean, uh, I did. And my final comment before we move on is, you know, I, I agree the bit at the beginning with the Harker and thing that was, oh, look, I thought it was passionate. It was good. I did think for a minute there that I had accidentally turned to watch um, Married at First Sight. But anyway... <laughs> But I'm glad that they got on with it. It was a bold and a beautiful, right? Like, the bold and a, like I don't know. It was a bit. They were a bit too close for comfort. But um, you know, good on them for trying. All right, look, let's move on to the next uh, the next discussion. So the next game was Fiji over PNG, forty three to sixteen. Um, that was at uh, at Port Moresby. Uh, no in, no indication of the crowd, but it was a full crowd. I think it was probably over ten thousand at least. Uh, or whatever the capacity is. Seven tries to three. We had Mike Acevo scoring two, um, and we had Kurt Donahue two as well. Kamika Mika, Navali, and uh, Karikari scored as well. And three tries for the Kamals, Johnston, Cott, and Kapinius. Halftime, it was all over, really. It was 19 points to four at halftime. Um, but, look, they completely went on with it. It was, uh, what was that, 24 points to 12 in the second half. So, you know, again, a tale of the team that was behind at halftime, still within striking distance, um, completely capitulating in the second half. And so, you know, and in this, in the case of Fiji, they scored, Mike Acevo scored two tries within three minutes 
in the 46th and 48th minute, completely putting to bed any comeback, uh, mm. possible comeback by the Kamals. Very disappointing. But look, if you look at the stats for this game, um, completely different scenario. I think um, for some of the main stats, like time in possession, etc., it was quite even. Um, but uh, when you look at run meters, post-contact meters, you know, Fiji pretty much won all the main the main things, uh, you know, although dummy passes, they had no dummy passes. But I guess I would argue, why would you why would you do a dummy pass when a simple pass could get you a try? <laughs> you know, so I think that's, mm. uh, you know, so two tries, two dummy passes to zero. But look, um, again, the stats aren't too much in favour of Fiji. But if I'm looking at the ones where where I think they matter the most, run meters were significantly more for Fiji. It was at least 200 more, you know, 1580 versus three, 1306. Um, post-contact meters, again, showing that Fiji, when they get, uh, you know, attempted at tackle, they they can kick on with it and, and gain more yards. That's very important. But the other one, 32 tackle breaks to 19. I mean, you just can't give away that many <laughs> misses in tackles, uh, PNG, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, when you look at the stats, it shows that there was definitely a, a dominated performance by Fiji. I think the same thing as Australia. They took the opportunities when they came to them, whereas PG, PNG struggled a little more to find those opportunities. Um, it just seemed too easy for Fiji. And I have to admit, after the game that we saw last week where they just snuck ahead of the Cook Islands, you don't you didn't really expect this a lot of people wouldn't have expected this but to me i think when you look at the who they've got on their roster fiji should be you know battling almost nudging at that top tier um on their good day and and this is while they're missing kikau korosau and who who else are they missing they're missing quite a few big names um and yet they still managed to do it to the PNG Kamals who who had a pretty good outing last time. So, yeah, well done, Fiji. You have now made it to the final of uh, uh, what, what is it? Final of the uh, Pacific uh, bowl. bowl. It is. And funnily enough, in a role reversal, they are playing the same team, PNG, next week. So, <laughs> so well done. Well, we're going to whinge about the scheduling committee later. <laughs> Let's keep that to later. But, yeah, um, what about you? 43-16, to 16, you must have been happy as a Fijian Indian to see the Fiji Bati get uh, smash their way through the PNG Kumuls and really set up an interesting final. Yeah, look, um, definitely was. And I think, um, yeah, it was, you, you know, like, uh, look, Alex Johnson scored a, a fairly easy try uh, in the first sort of, you know, Three to four minutes, I think it was right. So it was, and it was se- like, second minute, yeah, it was very early on. It was very early on, and then, um, you know, sc- scoring out wide, and I thought that was uh, that was like tremendous. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go with with Fiji, right? But then, you know, w- what they were that they got their basics right, and you know, their forward pack is obviously like if you actually like, you know, that all their back line are all NRL superstars, <laughs> right? Then they have a halves combination, which is. You know, have both have about 20, 25 games between them. Well, sorry, both of them, you know, the Dolphins and the West Tigers, but not really highly ranked teams. Uh, and then their forward pack has just really got Kamakamika and the rest of them are 
silver tails or you know sort of um you know second first you know so new south wales cup or even below that level in terms of what they play right but despite having all of that i think they they really focused on the basics really well and just um you know, a lot of dummy half running, I noticed, with Fiji, and they were getting meters that way and just trying to get quick play the balls and then uh, and then obviously getting the ball out to their strike weapons who weren't just trying to... Because I think last week they just got overexcited with trying to make a hit, <laughs> right? Whereas I think they were kind of, th- this week, a bit more focused on trying to win the game. And I think that was, uh, I think that was evident. And I think that's why their performance was great. I don't know who's done the NRL statistics because I'm looking at what you're looking at. It looks like fairly even, but I've got to say, when I was watching the game, I, I probably I, it was noticeable that PNG did not complete a set from like the 20th minute to like the 60th minute. They could not get to the sixth tackle, and there was lots of drop ball. I believe it was below 50%. So I don't know how they got. To even a better completion rate than Fiji. That just blows my mind. So I don't know what is considered a completed set or not. Um, but um, what I'd say is that the number of times that the referee would count six um, to the PNG, like it might have been maybe, I'd say, 15, 20 times max throughout the whole game. Um, so they they really had – they had a, they had an off day when it came to that. Um, you know, maybe they were expecting an easy victory. Um, uh, you know, uh, look, I think uh, I think they have the better half with Lockwell and Lamb. I think he's probably the best organizer throughout both these teams. But they just they just couldn't get in the game. And you know, well done to Fiji, just having a basic basic game plan really, which is like you know, uh, forwards make the meters off the middle, then it you know, then it compresses the defense, and then you get it out wide. That's pretty much what they were doing. And then they did score a beautiful try with Kurt Donaghy, where you know they were turning the ball in and out. Um, you know, and then so so just keeping alive um, and getting those second phase and third phase passes along, and uh, to the point where Kurt Donahue was set up beautifully, and that was um, you know, that was set up by uh, you know, like uh, Jerome Bulai, I think, and then uh, Wonga Blake as well, who then set up, you know, got into the gap and then got the ball to Wakeham, who then was able to get the ball back to Kurt Donahue. It was fantastic. So. You know, um, I think the Fijians can take a lot of confidence out of that. But look, you know, um, this weekend they're going to start at nil-nil again, and it could be it could be forty-three sixteen the other way, right? Right. I feel like with both these teams, they the consistency is going to be a bit of a challenge for both of them. But um, you know, hopefully uh, we get a really. I, th- I think we're going to. I think what's due is a really solid contest between these two teams because they. I think. They are pretty evenly matched. I think where where Fiji has got a bit more of NRL qual, uh, quality in them, they do have a lot of players that don't, uh, at, you know, below the New South Wales Cup level. Whereas PNG have the majority of the team plays near New South Wales Cup level with with probably less NRL stars. So I feel like it's a really it should be a really even contest. So, and I think this weekend could be. And if it comes down to say. Uh, then it will come down to organisation, which team is more organised. And and I think that's a bit of, I mean, uh, yeah, you'd you'd give the edge to PNG with Lachlan Lamb, but then you also think, well, Wakeham and Donahue, they've, you know, they've pretty much played the whole season, uh, you know, in first grade. So maybe not. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, salivating at, at the return match. And, um, you know, maybe these nations, when there's not a Pacific Championship, or maybe they should do a three-match series every year. Um, I think I think they do need to play each other a lot more 
And I think they're both going to improve by having more contests against each other. All right. Um, let's move on to the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns in the women's game. It was a precursor to the men's game in Amy Park in Melbourne. And it was a beauty. It was a really great game. The Jillaroos got off to an early start, uh, a try to Jamie Chapman in the ninth minute. And then, look, for a while, it looked like the Jillaroos were just going to dominate. I think at one point they even had a try to Tamika Upton uh, disallowed. Um, and so that kind of uh, kind of stopped them in their tracks. And look, unsurprisingly for the Jillaroos, they ended up scoring no more points after that. And there's actually the Kiwi Ferns that, that uh, uh, you know, with a late try in, uh, in the 34th minute in the first half, um, went into the sheds six all. Um, and then it was one of those tight tussle kind of games. It was, you know, high quality, a lot of intensity, and in the end, a 62nd minute try to Leanne Tafuga, um, and obviously the uh, the conversion by Racy McGregor uh, soon after got them to 12-6, and that's what ended up being the final score. So I think, look, the Jillaroos, um, you know, they don't have the same aura about them as the Kangaroos do, and I think the Kiwi Ferns are a lot closer to them, and this just proved it that they. Uh, they kind of um, look so a very good performance from the Kiwi Ferns as well. If I look at the stats, um, again, the stats show a very close game. There were some sort of interesting anomalies in the data that sort of give you a bit of a picture of what went wrong for Australia, who were considered favourites, I would say. Um, 53% completion rate versus 71%. That's one of the reasons. Um, they did, however, have a lot more run meters, 1,823 to 1,490. So, again, that makes you think, well, they're not completing their sets, but when they do, they, they certainly travel very far. Post-contact meters, again, favoring the Aussies. Tackle breaks. Now, this is an interesting one. 47 to 11 in favor of Australia. So another way to look at it is 47 missed tackles by the Kiwi Ferns versus only 11. So in defense, it looked like, you know, they were kind of more efficient. Um, you know, set distance, again, favoring Australia. Kick return meters. Now, I want to, I don't know if this is an anomaly or, or correct. 227 kick return meters to a, the, from the Jillaroos to 29 by the Kiwi Ferns. <laughs> Um, and, and you think, oh, but that's probably because it was like maybe they had heaps more kicks. No, they had – they actually – the Kiwi Ferns had 20 kicks and the Aussies had 13. So I think what happened is that to, to me tells me that when the Aussies had to kick, it wasn't like kicking like one of those long kicks to establish field position. It was because they had so many – kind of, um, you know, tackle breaks. They probably got very far and deep into New Zealand territory and the kicks ended up being maybe just grubber grubber kicks, I would say. Um, although in looking at the stats, five bombs to three, three grubbers to two. So that doesn't really explain it either. So I'm, I'm, I'm digging myself into a corner here. Mm. I think when I look at, I, I cannot explain what the stats are telling me except to say... <laughs> That the Jillaroos dominated, you know, the running game, but they, unlike the Kangaroos, they didn't take advantage of the opportunities and the field position. 
and just completely lost the plot when they were close to New Zealand's line. And also when it mattered, New Zealand's defense was rock solid. Um, that's that's the only way I can explain it. So I think, look, it was an entertaining game for sure. And I think the Kiwi Ferns absolutely deserved the victory. Um, you know, we'll talk later about what whether this is the final or not. But if it is the final, well done to Kiwi Ferns because you deserved it. It was a great game. And, you know, I think Australia-New Zealand rivalry in the women's game is going to be an excellent one going forward. So, Tish, what about you? What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, yeah well, look, I think, uh, you know, echoing your thoughts there. Uh, the only thing I could say about the stats is, like, I feel like the stats for this game is probably what the ta- <laughs> the stats for the Fiji PNG game is. So I don't know if they swapped things around because uh, I feel like this game was close and I just felt that New Zealand just managed the game a lot better uh, than than um, uh, the Jillaroos. And I actually felt that there was a time period there where the Jillaroos just did not look like they could get over the line despite the efforts of Tamika Upton and some of their cre- creativity. So, you know, very interesting. And look, what a turnaround from just a year ago, um, you know, so, you know, uh, last year, the World Cup final, right? We, we you know, for the, um, you know, for the, for the women's w- women's World Cup, you know, New Zealand were absolutely hammered on that day, um, you know, and then to be able to turn around within a year, um, you know, I think is, pre- is fantastic. So 20th of November last year, they lost 54 to four, right, in the final. Um, and, you know, in, in like, you know, almost, well, not even a year to come back and to even beat them, um, you know, and have a really good close contest kind of shows that, hey, you know, maybe that game, they were overawed by the occasion, but they're actually a really good side in New Zealand and they're very close to the quality that Australia has. Um, and you could even say that they're on par a little bit and I feel like they definitely are. So uh, well done. And, uh, yeah. Uh, would love to see more of this fixture in the near future, but we'll have to talk about that in, in a future tackle coming up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And all right, let's move on to the next game, or maybe we'll talk about the uh, the uh, the English and Tonga game later, shall we? Shall we move on to uh, our tackle number two, where we preview the men's games for the Pacific Championship? Here we go. All right. Some of this, uh, do not adjust your sets. Uh, You you may experience deja vu because we've just spoken about these same same games, but um, there are some slight differences. So, the final of the Pacific Cup is the Kangaroos versus the Kiwis. Obviously, Kangaroos finishing first on the table and Kiwis second. Um, the final will be Saturday, 4th of November at 3 p.m. at Waikato, uh, FMG Stadium Waikato, which is in Hamilton, New Zealand. Um, should be a big game. There are some key ins and outs, though, or, or uh, players coming in. So for Australia, we've got Selwyn Cobbo coming into the side. Uh, well, coming in, we've got Tino and we've got Payne Haas. And for New Zealand, Kino Kinney and Wirema Greg. So the uh, the the uh, sides, though, look like this. We've got James Tedesco, captain at fullback. Then we've got Dylan Edwards, Valentine Holmes on the wings. The Hammer and Katoni in the centres. 
Cameron Munster, Daly Cherry Evans in the halves. In the forwards, we've got an all New South Wales back row, Yo, Martin, and Murray, and uh, a few Queenslanders in the front row. We've got Ben Hunt in the hooker, and the props are Payne Haas, who didn't play last weekend, and Tino. And on the interchange bench, we've got a super strong Queensland lineup. Harry Grant, <laughs> Lindsay Collins, Patrick Carrigan, and Ruben Cotter. So Nico Hines misses out. He is the 18th man reserve, but um, we won't see him play. Neither will we see Flegler, Cobo, or Jake Trebojevic. On the New Zealand side, we've got Chans at fullback, Mulitalo and Izako on the wings, Timoko and Manu in the centres, Dylan Brown, Jerome Hughes. We've got in the back row, Joseph Tapane, Brighton Nakora, Isaiah Papali'i, I think didn't play last week, or maybe he didn't. He, he went missing as well. In the front row, we've got James Fisher-Harris, a captain, Kieran Foran and Moses Leoda. In the interchange bench, Farmanu Brown, Nelson Asafa Solomona, Griffin Neem, and Leo Thompson. So, look, the lineups are very similar. Michael Maguire has not done anything different with Joseph Manu, which is very interesting, um, given given that both he and Dylan Brown didn't really do anything. And, and you know, as you said, Brown-Hughes, they really need to kind of have a better combination and not stifle the back line. In comparison, the hammer really, um, you know, almost played out of his skin, almost was man of the match, I would I would say, for Australia. Some very key moments where he was the, the key difference, uh, really, doing those 1% plays. Um, Dylan Edwards is there in the wing, which is interesting considering he's, um, you know, he had uh, had some mishaps. He dropped the ball. Yeah, dropped you know, ball, yeah. that was interesting why Dylan Edwards is there. Maybe this is more uh, – and, and surprising that Cobra isn't coming straight in. I don't know why. Um, mm. Valentine Holmes, you know, all the others are, are there. I think for Australia, Payne Haas coming in means that this is going to be – doubly hard for New Zealand to win this game. And I think what we need is to see the forwards. You know, Fisher-Harris tried. Leota wasn't really as strong as I thought he would be. Um, but with Payne Haas and Tino on the front row, they both bring, well, strength but also skills in the, ter- in the, in the form of Tino as well, a bit of ball playing there as well. This is going to cause New Zealand lots of headaches. And I think... As you said, look, they don't have any other troops to bring into this war. They need to mm. just do better. They just need to do better. Um, Maguire needs to come up with some set plays. Um, you know, he also needs to have a good talking to to Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes. If they don't fire, this, this team is not going to win and the Kangaroos are just going to absolutely dominate as they did last game. I don't see the Kangaroos playing as good as they played. Um, I think they uh, there are... There are weaknesses there that New Zealand uh, can exploit. Um, I think, you know, forget Payne Haas and Tino. The, the, you, you are, you'll you have your work cut out for you if you're a New Zealand Kiwi trying to bring them down. I think the best you can do is absorb the pressure and focus your efforts on, you know, Ben Hunt. Don't forget Ben Hunt is a master at, at sneaking through. He's one of the most underrated players and typically – he uh, he uh, packs the killer punch, and that's exactly what he did last week. He scored that try that got the Australia to streak ahead. Um, you know, it, it was just he, – he does it for Queensland regularly. 
He'll do it again if they're not careful. So they've got to watch out for Ben Hunt. I think the the back row, um, if you can stifle Ben Hunt, if you can stifle their momentum, the Martin, Yo, and Murray uh, can be stifled as well. So I think the forwards really have to step up and and play their game. Joseph Tarpane had a good go. There's a lot of toughness to this Kiwi lineup, but you know, then you look at the interchange. When Harry Grant comes on, there is a stability to this squad. Lindsay Collins, of course, he's um, you know, John Cena in a different form. Um, <laughs> he uh, he scores two tries out of nothing. He somehow ends up being He's got the Terry Lamb instinct just for being at the right place at the right time. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Terry Lamb, Steve Menzies, you know, you name it. Lindsay Collins has that potential to be one mm. of the greatest forwards. He's the anti-Paul you know. Gallon. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then you've got, you know, Patrick Carrigan and Ruben Cotter also. These are interchange I'm talking about. They're not even mm. on the squad. So Aussies are packed to the rafters with absolute stars and, and dangerous players. Having said that, I thought when Harry Grant came off is when Australia played best. I think Harry oh, Grant. Interesting. Yes, I think Harry Grant has. He's, he brings stability, but he. But I think Ben Hunt is really the danger here. I think mm. if they, and this is why I say he's so underrated, and you you underrate him at your peril, New Zealand, because he will. Uh, I guarantee when when the time you know the the game is tight towards the end of time, you will see Ben Hunt step up, and I and that's what I'm predicting. I think the backs speak for themselves. Um, it's actually, you know, it's it's up to Manu, it's up to Dylan Brown from a New Zealand perspective it, to make any difference to what we saw last week. Otherwise, it's going to be an easy Kangaroos victory. What about you, Tish? Yeah, well, look, I think it's interesting. And I think, uh, you know, I, my initial reaction with the Australian squad coming out is, yeah, I was a little... I, I mean, I thought Nico Hines uh, could have snuck in there, but I do understand why they've sort of gone back, right, um, to 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 what they have what they had in their first game. Um, but I kind of overall thought that was a better squad. But then if I really dig down deep on the Australians... You know, this is kind of interesting. If, if I actually look at their bench, you know, and just sort of remove Harry and think about those three forwards, right? Um, I kind of feel that Ruben Cotter and Patrick Carrigan, they're 80-minute workhorse players with lots of skill, right? So I don't know if they provide impact off the bench, right? Whereas I kind of feel that New Zealand actually have a bit of an advantage there with Leo Thompson and Nelson, except for Solomon. I think I think they definitely get impact off the bench. And then you've got to think, well, Isaiah Yo, Lee Martin, Cameron Murray, I think Martin definitely has a bit of a you know impact, you know, when he comes off the bench type thing. But the other two are kind of very uh, very neutral. And, you know, it's interesting in the first game, Australia versus Samoa, I think a lot of people were saying how you know, it, uh, Samoa got a lot closer to Australia than uh, than what they did to New Zealand, right? So with this particular combination, I think where where the Australians are kind of weaker is that without having you know another X factor in Nico Hines coming off the bench, right? And you know, I feel like they've they have a little less than what they do, 
you know, I also think that uh, Gerbo, Jake Trevojevic, like, you know, he, he, he had a bit of an impact when he came on as well because, you know, he plays lock forward. He can play in the front row, but he's also a ball-playing uh, lock, right? Uh, you know, sort of in the mold of a, a Brad Clyde back in the day type thing. Whereas Isaiah, yeah, I feel like, I mean, yes, he can, he's got a pass in him and stuff, but he's kind of a, you know, he, he's a workhorse heavy type player. So, so this is where I kind of think this combination, I think this is why they, they don't seem to have as many points in them, the Australian team, as what they do by having a Nico Hines and a Jack Trevojevic in there, as opposed to the Isaiah's and so forth. So I feel like they have, I, th- I think that's, it's kind of interesting how this combination is going to go. On the flip side, I think New Zealand, I mean, re- the reality is this game is at home. Uh, so it's in Hamilton, New Zealand. Um, and, you know, they do have strike off the bench. They all know they didn't play to their potential last week, right? They all know that they've got to bring it for their A game. They all know that Payne Haas is back, right? But look, Payne Haas played for Brisbane in the grand final. Um and, but so did Moses Leota and James Fisher-Harris, but for Penrith, who were on top. So Tino is a big gun as well, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but if you, I think the New Zealand forwards, I don't think they should feel any less intimidated because they're, they're, their forward pack is actually quite good, right? I mean, I know that Azai Papali playing for the Tigers and Nakora sort of playing for the Sharks, Tapane playing for the Raiders, not really in those teams that have been playing all those big games towards the back of the end of the season, um, like the real, real, you know, sort of, you know, penultimate games and everything, I still think they're all fantastic players on their own right. So I feel like New Zealand, they've got nothing to lose just then just to give, give it their all. And, um, yeah, I don't think this Australian... Yeah, it's it's a bit... You kind of... like I feel like the balance of the team for Australia is slightly out a little bit. Um, Backline... Uh, you know, having a look at the back line, I do feel that even with, despite having Dylan Edwards is not regularly a winger on the wing, I still think that, you know, with a Valentine Hearns, Tony Sags, and for, like Fido Tedesco, um, you know, um, I really think that only Manu <laughs> is that uh, strike weapon. I probably feel that Manu should actually play fullback. I think you need to get him into the game, uh, even if he doesn't want to be in the game. <laughs> right. Because I think in the centres, uh, he might wait for the play to come, uh, whereas I think in fullback you kind of get him into the game. Um, so, so yeah, so that would be good. So, look, I think I think this game is going to be closer than before. I still think the Australians are going to win, um, but I think because I think the defence of Australia is always going to be strong. I just also think that maybe they've, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they've over they've overshot a little bit, having too many workhorses than impact. That's kind of where I'm leaning. Uh, any thoughts there, Dr. T? Yeah, look, I've only got one final thought. If you look at I still think I'll look at the squads and the Aussies are just stacked with experience. Mm. You're right, there's some imbalance issues, but I think they've got enough kind of uh, heavy hitters. You know, they've got enough youth. They've got enough. Look, they are also stacked in captains. So if you look at... How many captains do they have, club captains? You've got Tedesco. I think I've counted six. Tedesco, Daly Cherry Evans, Ben Hunt usually is captain, I believe, or has captain before St. George. Um, Cameron Murray. Cameron Murray. Mm. Isaiah Yeo. Yeah. yeah. And on the bench, you've got uh, Patrick Carrigan. Yep. Mm. So that's six I've counted. 
in and comparison, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not counting. I'm not. But if you look at yeah. James Fisher Harris, the captain, he's not even captain of his own club. <laughs> like, well, there's well, your problem right there. They've got they're stacked with more experience when it where it counts, Australia. Mm. And I think, you know, I think Michael Maguire's got a. You know, you're talking about. I, I I wonder why Kieran Foran, one of the most experienced players, why isn't he co-captain captain. Yeah. Um, or captain? Why isn't Jerome Hughes captain? You know, there's there's potentially other things you could go for. But this is what happens when you've got, you know, you've got some good players there and, and the usual players, but then you've got, you know, you're missing some key players like Sean Johnson who would have been instantly captain, I think. Um, mm. But look... It's it's not lamb to the slaughter. I think it's just you know very much in favour of Australia, but yeah. I think the Kiwis look. I think the Kiwis could potentially mm. do it. Like they were only six point be- points behind at half time, yeah. and they weren't playing very well, very good compared to Australia. So it's possible, it's possible that they could uh, spring an upset here. But um, I'll leave it there. Shall we move on to the Pacific Bowl final, which is Butty and the Kumuls. Again, I'm not going to go through all the lineups, but for the Fijians, Taruva is one of the the major, uh, you know, obviously championship winning player. NRL winner Taruva is in uh, the centres, and for um, for PNG, I don't, I think Roderick Tay is into the centres as well. So we've got. You know, centres coming back in, not much else happening. Um, but look, to me, I think for this game, uh, so this, just to be clear, Port Moresby, Sunday afternoon at 4pm, the 5th of November. Um, so again, same sort of crowd. The fact that Fiji was able to do it with a hostile crowd last time and so easily suggests to me that they've got, um, it really is theirs to lose. But then again, we saw how they played against the Cook Islands, I think, when they were a bit, um, shall we say, probably arrogant a little bit and didn't do yeah. the, the, the simple things, but they certainly turned it around. So, look, based on that, uh, this is going to be a simple one. I think Fiji are the favourites, deserve to be favourites, and I think they'll win quite easily against PNG. What about you, Tish? Yeah, well, look, I'm just looking at some of the stat attack, uh, you know, Marcus Suva has scored nine tries in nine test matches, including seven in his past five tests. And... I did notice he's a bit of a crowd favourite um, in you know in PNG, which is kind of funny because I think there was one tackle where he kind of uh, knocked out a player by just running into him, and the crowd went nuts. And I was like, oh man, they're cheering on their own guy uh, getting run over <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by Marcus Sever. That's how that's how affectionate we are, you know, at watching a Fijian player knock out other players. So very interesting, you know. But um. You know, and then look, uh, Jerome Bulai, Marcus Siv, and Wonga Blake, they all combined for 36 runs with 455 metres on Sunday. So I think I think with the Fijians, they actually know how to win. And I think they just need to obviously have a, a, as much of a repeat performance as well. But I think they're actually going to get better because, look, with the Cook Islands, you know, it was their first hit out with this uh, new generation of Fijian party players. You know, they had a lot of, you know, uh, you know, Coruscant and kick out, two major guns for them out. Um, you know, Montella um, Montoya is not there. Um, you know, they've got, got a number of players that have sort of moved on since the last time they've played. I don't, you know, none of the Sims boys are there, which has been a long time where you haven't had a, a Sims. 
uh, brother in in the team. So, you know, so it's kind of kind of a bit of a, a mismatch of what they got. Um, but in saying that, they've vastly improved within a week, and I think they've just got to keep on improving. I think that's the big focus for them. If they just keep on improve, improving from their last performance, I think they can do it. I think for PNG, look, I think the big thing for them is this is a final. Um, this is not a a uh, you know let's outdo the team in shoulder charges <laughs> and and let's not try and like, it's not just about tackling the other team right you know really hard and then yeah and then coming off your line and then and then and then the gap gets exported in the next tackle i think they've got a play to win um is probably the main thing i'd, I'd suggest to them um you know, Alex Johnson, I know he's not really a winger, uh, a fullback, sorry, he's more of a winger. But I think the more involvement he can have and him combining with Lachlan Lamb, I think would be two keys to what they need to do for success. Um, you know, they've got Justin Holbrook as their coach. I think he's a he's a great coach. Like, you know, he's kind of a bit disappointed that he sort of lost the job at the Titans. So, um, you know, I think they're going to be coached better to, to, to perform better, but... Uh, I think this is going to be that. This is going to be the bowl, the bowl blockbuster that we have been waiting for with these two teams, because I feel like uh, the first game was a bit of a hit out. Uh, both teams have ironed out the chinks, and now they're just going to go at it, and uh, it is going to be absolute carnage, but hopefully a lot of great tries, because I think both these teams have the talent to score a lot of long range tries, as well as um, as well as show up with a lot of big hits. So. Um, uh, my prediction is a lot of ice packs after this game. So, yeah. <laughs> no worries. All right. Well, let's move on to the what's happening in Northern Hemisphere, England v Tonga. Tackle number three. Here we go. All right. Before we launch into our preview of game Three in the three-match test series. Let's do a quick review of game two. England won this one to wrap up the series 14 points to four against Tonga at um, Huddersfield. And it was two tries to one. Matty Ashton scored both of the tries in the sixth and 34th minute and a solo try to uh, Tongan Tolutau Kula in the 55th minute. It was 12-0 at halftime in favour of England and Tonga won the second half 4-2. There you go. But 14-4, uh, not good enough, um, not, not, not fast enough. Um, if you look at the stats, um, again, I think it's well, – oh, let me just look at it quickly. Uh, it's a case of uh, England just doing the little things a little bit better overall than the Tongans. More possession, better completion rate, more time in possession – um, run meters actually favored Tonga, interestingly enough, and the post-contact meters. But line breaks, uh, sorry, tackle, well, actually, tackle breaks also favor Tonga. Wow. Actually, the stats mm. tell a different story. There you go. Um, the average set distance also favored Tonga. Um, what else? Uh, I'm trying to look for th- anything that tells me that <laughs> explains why England won this one from the stats perspective. I can't really because, well, kicking metres, actually. Kicking metres was much in favour of England. I think they had a much better uh, kicking game overall, eight bombs to three, and I think those, that made a difference. Um, you know, tackles made, missed tackles were in favour of Tonga. They had less 
than uh, or fewer missed tackles, sorry, than England. Um, England had more ineffective tackles, 12 to 6. Errors were the same. Yeah, looking at the stats, actually it was a close game, and it was. It felt like a close game, but I think mm. the same argument applies here. England, you know, when you've got a side that um, where it's not just uh, you know, representatives from from that uh, you know one of the top two professional leagues in the world, uh, the Super League or the NRL. It's not just about representation; it's also about experience and knowing what to do when the chips are down or when the when it's tight. And I think England's got a few players that know how to do that. That doesn't mean they're invincible. We've seen that you know they've they've been able to be beaten uh, on several occasions recently. But look, the fact that Tonga is getting there and he's close and hasn't been flogged by England is a really good sign. I wonder how they're going to react. You know, it's now 2-0. It's a dead rubber. Um, are the Tongans not going to care or are they going to play for pride? If I was betting, I would say they play, they're going to play for pride. And I think they really want to be able to show that it's a 2-1 series, not a 3-0 series. So with that in mind... Um, let me, uh, well, I'll, I'll ask you to, what are your thoughts on game two of that three-match test series? And then we'll go into the preview. Yeah, look, I think with game two, obviously, Tongan disappointed because now it's a, a dead rubber this game. Um, and you're right. I think they definitely showed that they are that they are a tier one nation, right? They're, they're able to match it on the stats. They're able to create chances. They're able to do it. But I think as we've sort of seen with both, you know, with, with both, uh, lineups. Uh, I think it's come down to the finishing, being able to take advantage of your opportunities, and I think that's where Tonga um, just having the right temperament, uh, probably probably lacking a little bit with their halves in terms of figuring out how to capitalise on on the field position as well as the the game situation. I think those are probably the the, the two the two things there that they just really need to sort of um, fix. But look. Ultimately, a great experience for the entire lineup, really, and um, you know, and it will be interesting to see how, uh, yeah, to see how they go in this game uh, coming up. So, uh, shall we get into the preview? Yeah, let's do it. So, we Sunday, the fifth of November, Australian or Sydney time, one thirty a.m. our time. It's going to be played at Leeds. Um, if you look at, like I said, the last two games, game one was twenty two eighteen in favour of England, uh, game two, 14 to 14-4 in favour of England. So a margin of four points and then 10 points, you know, minimal. Like this is state of origin type kind of uh, differences. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, Tonga should feel like they, they should be proud of what they've done uh, to get this far. If you look at, um, you know, the fact that late last year in the World Cup, they lost, uh, they had two games to the Kiwis, um, that where they lost and and, and then the uh, they had a win against France. I think it was earlier in the year, and now these two games losses. So if you look at just the win win loss sort of ratio, Tonga's not doing so well. But again, we're talking about them kind of entering the tier one sphere for the first time and actually you know holding their own, which is really good. If you look at <coughs> excuse me, if you look at the the lineups though, there's some interesting an interesting observation I would say that. Tells you a lot about what England is focusing on. Um, they don't have. Um, they had uh, Dom Young actually was injured, so he wasn't able to play. So one of their star, you know, backs isn't there. 
But if you look at their forwards, <coughs> excuse me, um, you've got Tom Burgess, John Bateman, Elliot Whitehead, Victor Radley. <coughs> These are all NRL, you know, enforcers, really. And tells you everything that you need to know about the England side and how they're playing. They're playing with strength, and their strength is their forwards and, and just doing the little things right. For Tonga, though, I think, like I said, they're not going to need much motivation to, to play strongly in this game. If anything, this is going to favour Tonga because England might put their foot off the pedal a little bit, having already won the series. Um, and Tonga is not going to let up. I think they're going to put the foot, put the foot down even further. And and I think on the basis of that, I think the Tongans will um, come prepared much more than England. And I think we'll over overpower them. Um, it's going to be a great game, but I think, like I said, some of the circumstances tell me that Tonga should be favoured for this game. What about you, Tish? Yeah, look, I am going to think England are going to make a clean sweep of it. I do think Tonga is going to play better, but I think just with England, um, the fact they were able to to withhold the pressure that Tonga are able to apply, um, and you know they're really going to back the defence. I think Tonga has to come out with a completely different game plan, and I just don't know what that's going to be. Uh, to try and get over the line a lot more. So, look, I think I think that's great. Um, I'm just actually having a look at the Tonga A squad that played the Kiwi A's, and I feel like some of these Tongan A players could actually uh, should actually be there for Tonga at the moment. And I think it would be been a better experience for them to be part of the lineup actually. Um, but look, I think that uh, look, both Test matches they haven't been blown out, they haven't been embarrassing, kind of kind of been competitive, uh, you know. Just obviously the score lines haven't really reflected that as much for this game. So, uh, look, I think Tonga are going to be competitive, but I think in the end, I think I think I trust England to be able to take advantage of their chances. So, I'm going to predict a, uh, a, a uh, an English victory. All right, let's move on to the women's games. Tackle number four. <laughs> All right, this is going to be a quick tackle because there is no no final or semi-finals for the Women's Pacific Championships. Um, but we wanted to take this opportunity. So for when from the beginning, we knew that the the Women's Championships was going to be played for only two-week period from the 14th to 28th of October. So that last game we spoke about, the Jillaroos and the Ferns, are actually, is, is actually the last game that we'll see from the women's side. Um so five matches were played between seven sides. No semi-final final takes place. But Tish, we wanted to raise this as a quick tackle just to have a bit of a mm. rant and a whinge because that's extremely disappointing that the women's games, we don't have a, a final. Like how hard is it to put an extra couple of games on? Um, yeah. Very disappointing that that wasn't bankrolled by the NRL, who has a lot of money rolling around. Could have extended the women's championship so that we had a final for the women's and the men's on at the same time, like a double header. There's no reason why you couldn't do that. Very disappointing. Very confusing as well. I mean, we, we do this podcast. We know a little bit about the game. We're, we're fans of the game. Uh, the average person will have no idea what's happening. Why is it that all of a sudden there's a, you know, the, the Ferns won last week. Did, did they win anything? Was there a trophy? You know, what's the point? It's, it's a bit yeah. strange. Um, but, yeah, Tish, what are your views on this? Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. I feel like uh, after watching 
you know these games and following them and realizing that hey, there's there's, there's a bit of competition going on, and this is actually uh, you know the gap isn't as wide as what there is in the men's. I was kind of looking forward to a final to see how the Jillaroos were going to come back from losing to the Kiwis, but we don't get that opportunity, right? I don't think the Kiwis get an opportunity to actually win anything. And uh, look, New Zealand sport need it. They lost the uh, Rugby World Cup. Uh, you know, they lost the Constellation Cup. Uh, they lost against Australia in the cricket, <laughs> right? They lost in the men's game. You know, the, the, the Kiwi Ferns were the only national New Zealand team that won last weekend, right? So, you know, kind of, but like, you know, well, I suppose it meant something. And look, even even the whole uh, premise, like it is, this has been called a cha- Pacific Championship, but there's no championship game, nor is there a champion, right? Like you can't have a championship without actually crowning a champion, right? So I don't know if that's the Kiwis uh, and, you know, if we look at it from the bowl, all the bowl teams only got one game. Uh, and then uh, the Jillaroos got two games. Uh, the Tongans got one game. And the Kiwi Ferns actually got three games. <laughs> right? So why, why, why do you even have standings? <laughs> right? It's just completely out of whack. So, look, I, I think they just have to to go, like, you know, let, let's... I, I think there's a lack of treating this treating this seriously and actually think you know what people want if you want people to invest into women's rugby league um not just financially but emotionally get behind them and international rugby league you've got to put on tournaments that actually have an outcome right and because otherwise you just have this bitter taste in the mouth and then you just you're kind of not interested because there isn't really anything you know you've got to play for something you know uh whether that's uh, and and whatever they're playing for, that's really got to be emphasised, you know. Um, and and I think now, like looking back at it, the fact that there isn't really a championship game, you know, they weren't really discussing the trophy or discussing the history. They were just sort of broadcasting games for the fact of broadcasting them. So, look, really disappointed that we don't have it. Um, and I think this concept of Pacific Championships for both men and women is fantastic. It gets Test Match Rugby League on the calendar. So I think we need to keep doing it. But I think just for the women's, I think we've got to actually have a tournament, a winner. I think we just have to do that. So um, yeah. disappointed, but hopefully they could rectify it next year. Um, and 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 uh, yeah, get more get more international women's rugby league onto the calendar. I say. Absolutely. All right, we did say we we're going to have a surprise item. We're going to talk about PNG versus the Pacific Bears. Tackle number five. Here we go. All right, so there is no actual game called PNG versus Pacific Bears. This is about the bid for the NRL's 18th team, which we've heard recently, we've spoken about recently, that the PNG uh, team is all of a sudden the favourite to get that coveted 18th team spot in the NRL uh, because of their being, I guess, bankrolled by the Australian government, the Albanese government, uh, with with a promise for a certain number of million dollars over a certain number of years. Um, but this hasn't stopped the ever-resilient and formerly hibernating <laughs> North Sydney Bears 
who have mm. tried absolutely everything. Anytime there's there's a talk about a a team, a spot available for a new team, they put their hand up. Um, you know, Central Coast, they were all set to be the Central Coast Bears when the NRL went a different direction earlier in its life um, after the failed Northern Eagles merger with Manly. Um, and the Bears have been left kind of in the doldrums and the north of Sydney hasn't been represented and the Bears have also not been represented. So they have come out with the news of PNG uh, leading the pack. They have come out with, uh, you know, a strong claim that they could actually put in some work to, uh, you know, to surpass what PNG has to offer. Um, and are going to put it to the NRL. So the official, well, it's not really official yet, but there is a submission that they're thinking about involving the entire Pacific region. So that's Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, Fiji, parts of New Zealand as well, uh, as well as PNG, actually. Um, And, you know, colloquially, not officially, they've been calling this the Pacific Bears (laughs) bid. Um, They would base themselves in Sydney. This is the claim. They would base themselves in Sydney a few games per season at North Sydney Oval, keeping that traditional link to the past. Um, And the quote from Bears chairman Daniel Dixon is as follows. We would love to incorporate the Pacific, and we're absolutely passionate about embracing some of those territories that would do very well with what the Bears have to offer. Um, And, look, that's, that's the proposal, and it's very interesting um, and that obviously, as I said, is a counter offer to uh, to or counter proposal to the PNG proposal, which seems to have, well, according to the media, seems to have uh, almost been rubber stamped as the the next uh, 18th team in the NRL. Tish, it's an interesting concept having the Bears back. It's interesting having that kind of split personality. You know, a, a bit of an eye to the North Sydney. Uh, past and a look to the future with representation across the Pacific. Um, let me just get your quick thoughts on what what is your overall impression of this uh, proposal and then we can sort of dive into some of the details. So what's your overall general impression? Well, look, uh, overall it is, it is definitely interesting. We love the fact that they... Um, have have they they never stopped trying figuring out a way to get the bears uh you know uh back into the competition somehow so and you know what like you know you can never give up that's the kind of thing i don't know if this is getting desperate right because i was just thinking like do any of these uh, cultures have a uh have like even bear associations with it like i don't think you find bears in any of these countries right um and, uh, you know, uh, th- these countries don't even have winters, right? So I don't know where they're going to hibernate. Um, or maybe <laughs> New, Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand does. So, so, so I don't know about that. But look, y- you know, you can't fault them from trying. What I do think, I do like the concept of a Pacific uh, franchise. I do feel that it would work best as a second New Zealand team with a, uh, with like sort of a loose affiliation to play a game in Fiji, a game in Samoa, and a game in Tonga every year, and maybe a game in PNG. I think that would be a very exciting franchise. Um, and I think also you got to – I think the thing that the Dolphins did is that it did mobilise more talent that was in the New South Wales 
uh, sorry, in the Queensland Cup that weren't giving an opportunity here to definitely have uh, the talent to play in the NRL. Uh, and then so it did allow to bring more in. And then so I think whatever the next 18th franchise needs to be, it does need to build off a feeder system of, you know, local talent that's sort of, you know, needing an opportunity. Uh, so, you know, PNG, the Pacific, second New Zealand team, they all sort of fit that mould, which is kind of interesting because, like, I also feel like I, I do want a team in Perth and Adelaide and all that sort of stuff too, right? So it's, it's going to be interesting. So, look, it's it's an interesting concept. I like it. Um, yeah, I, look, pure a, a pure team playing in PNG, I feel like that is still a while away. I, I don't know how realistic that is. Although we are playing more games there and I think the coverage is sort of being covered a bit more. But, you know, I mean, um, I don't know the logistical issues about playing, you know, every other week in PNG is going to be as well uh, and whether we've we've been able to cross that barrier yet. What would be fantastic is that if we stop having the magic round in Suncourt Stadium and we could actually trial some of these other areas, right? Let's take a magic round to PNG. Let's take a magic round to the Pacific, right? And you know what? North Sydney Bears, you could sponsor it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And let's let, let's be able to actually experiment with this and see how we go with the participation. But, you know, there's no point in just going and having a magic round in some call, you know, for like forever um, if we don't get that opportunity to try and test out some of these new newer places. And I think... I think we need to get to an 18th team really, really quick as well because I feel like it does make the competition like way in balance with, you know, how many buyers we have and then the extra round to sort of accommodate all those buys. So yeah, um, so all in favour for a team, um, but not convinced that the Bears are the right solution for the Pacific. Um, uh, but excited to see rugby league being played in PNG. That's kind of like where my conclusions are. How about you? Dr. T, if you could sum up in a Jerry Springer-esque finale, you know, he does that thing at the end, <laughs> what would you do? Um, you I, can, I can't do a Jerry Springer uh, justice, but I think <laughs> I think I want to I want to I want to look at things slightly differently. I know you talked about the magic round and some alternative ideas about expanding the game, but if we're focusing just on we need another team, where it, where should it be? Um I when you look at if these are the two finalists and and yes we've we've heard and we've talked about a second New Zealand team potentially a second New Zealand team might might be too much I think we need them to focus on the Warriors at the moment and and strengthen the game there Perth is definitely another possibility um, and that would that would add I think to the national focus on NRL so that that should not be discounted but if it comes down to PNG versus a Bears slash you know, Pacific kind of team, then I think I think the Pacific team has merit in the sense that just like we saw in cricket, the West Indies was a, an amalgamation of different islands representing not, you know, not really representing a single island but a region. And I think if anyone knows how to do regions well, it is the NRL and rugby league fans can handle that. Um, you know, we talk about North Queensland is covering a massive piece of land in the northern part of, you know, Australia and also actually has ties to PNG as well. 
So the question of PNG I have is I don't think it's necessarily financially viable or sustainable because it is just one country. Admittedly, they're, they're crazy. There's six million of them, but I don't think that that's going to be sustainable in the long run to just have a, a team just coming out of there when they're not putting much into infrastructure at the moment um, and, and there's still a lot to be injected into that country to make it more of a, a of an option um of course we spoke about last time that one of the the key things is infrastructure and and the fact that there's china's growing influence in this region so that could also play a part in terms of um you know where they play but again png also has this thing where they're going to play some games in cairns which is north queensland territory isn't it <laughs> So to yeah, me, there's yeah. an overlap between PNG and North Queensland. So I, on that basis, I almost willing to dismiss PNG for now, until they get a better solution. The same mm. argument could be made against this Pacific idea of, you know, well you're going to have a split personality, and we all know how that doesn't really work for the tigers or the <laughs> dragons here, and it's a, mm. it's a genuine concern, right? But if, if you think about this like a West Indies thing, you could potentially have a really strong um, regional identity if you get it mm. right, if you get the name right. Yeah. And and I don't mean – that doesn't mean don't say bears. Maybe bears isn't okay. Maybe one way to avoid, you know, one country saying, oh, you've, you've chosen – you know, you've chosen a – a dolphin, which is my home my mascot, not not the Tongans or whatever. You know, one way to avoid all that is come up with a completely alien mascot that has that's not going to annoy anyone, and that's a bear. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, and maybe that is a mm. brilliant kind of three D chess kind of move. Um, yeah, but but that aside, I genuinely think we need to do we need to take advantage of the Pacific growing influence in the Pacific. We need to actually win the Pacific over rugby union and we have a potential to do it if we if we sort of bite the bullet and and jump on this Pacific idea, maybe work with the Bears franchise to kind of tidy things up a little bit. Maybe they've got the best infrastructure to kick it off. That's great. But honestly, Fiji has a 20K stadium in Suva that could easily host an NRL game, NRL quality game. They've got good infrastructure. Aussies love going there. Uh, you know, traveling there is is going to be great. You know, we all know that we love going to Bali, but we also love going to Fiji. Um, mm. You know, now you've got another reason to go if there's an NRL team that, that will play three, four games a year, for instance. Um, not yeah. so sure about Tonga, Samoa kind of um, – Infrastructure, but definitely Fiji is able to handle that. You know, again, you could do have this team as a bit of a traveling team. You could incorporate yeah. a bit of PNG, could incorporate a bit of New Zealand. Absolutely. Everything but Australia, call it, you know, the Oceanic Bears. I don't really care what you call it. It's got to be something. But I yeah. think this has a real potential. And I wasn't thinking about this really until now. And I think the, the fact the Bears have put their hand up is a bit of a possibility now that that you could use their infrastructure and their influence and the fact that there is potentially a link to North Sydney as well. Maybe you could do that initially. But, um, yeah, I I think this is a good way to go. I think we need to explore it, put it that way. But, Tish, I'll let yeah. you have the final word. Well, well, look, I think you're bringing up some good points. Look, I, I'm looking at the North Sydney 
board and uh, um, you know, with all due respect with the people in bo- involved, I also think that they look. I, I think they can do what they say that they're going to do, but it's it's just a matter of of making it happen, right? So, um, yeah. But look, I, I think what you're bringing up is a good point. Um, you know, if you've got a squad that is, you know, I think I think I think with a team that's Pacific orientated, I like to see them headquartered in New Zealand because I just feel like there is such a big Islander community that's within New Zealand as well that they're going to get support. So if you had that sort of, uh, you know, you had that in place and then you said you, you took one game to Samoa or Tonga, a game to Port Moresby and a game, you know, maybe a game or two to Fiji, for example, that type of, you know, so four games are going to be played in the islands. The rest of them are going to be played in New Zealand and maybe, you know, a couple of games also at North Sydney if it's going to be the Bears. I think that is actually very uh, doable right now. Actually, I think it's. I don't think it's going to cost that much extra money to make something happen. I think you could get a lot of support happening it because you've got you've got to remember you, you do have big businesses in that specialize in these island, uh, you know, island nations. I mean, you you, you even have like I mean. Uh, the PNG coffee industry and mining industry is booming as well, right? So, so there's an opportunity for, you know, uh, international organisations who are not associated with rugby league at the moment to actually come on board as well. So, look, it is it is a very exciting prospect, um, but yeah, we just have to have the right logistical people, like people who kind of know the the area to try to make that happen. But um, but let's see how it goes. I mean. Uh, yeah, we've the problem with North Sydney now is that we've had so many different iterations of what they needed to do. You kind of feel like, well, is this real? Is this going to happen, or is this just another desperate attempt? And I also feel like the NRL should should maybe one day just come out and just say, you know what, we don't want North Sydney. Not going to happen. That's it. Otherwise, they just get strung along, and then last minute they always lose their bid. Right. So. I think that's the other danger as well. If you hit yourself up to the North Sydney bandwagon or the De Bears bandwagon, are you shooting yourself in the foot for actually getting your franchise across the line? That's also another thing that I kind of think about these days. So, uh, but yeah, look, uh, hopefully, uh, an 18th man's uh, 18 team gets announced pretty soon. Awesome, man. We'll definitely keep an eye on it if we can. Uh, let's go on to our final tackle: the tips. All right, much like this podcast, the season has been very long. Um, we, uh, we, uh, we are almost there, final games yep. for the year. Um, I, uh, we, got, we both got two out of four last week. I'm at 144, you're at 143. Here it is, all on the line, the finals. Australia versus yep. New Zealand. Put your money where your mouth is. Does New Zealand win? Does Australia win? I'm, I'm, I'm Australia. sorry for Australia. So, he, so here we go, Dr. T. One point. Can you just imagine the last, final tip and we only got one, three games left and one point between us. So, yeah, but Australia for me in this one. All right. PNG versus Fiji. I'm tipping Fiji. I am tipping Fiji. So it's all come down to this one. Game three <laughs> of England versus Tonga. I'm actually tipping Tonga. Okay. I am tipping England. Wow. 
Wow, and you know what? Like, uh, I've never said that. If it's come down to the wire, I've never, I've never gone for King Charles and his men. So, but look, I'm going for the English here. So, uh, you know. <laughs> All right, go Tonga. You have to you have to bring it home for me. Otherwise, we're going to have a tied series, which is uh, I think the first time ever we've actually tied in the tips this year. Um, mm. But yeah, look, that's it. That is the podcast. It's been a long one. Thanks for persisting, everyone. Um, some interesting discussions, and definitely we will uh, we'll wrap it up uh, either next week or the week after with our review of these games and then our famous world famous awards rugby league republic awards to to cap off a very long and uh interesting 2023 rugby league season over to you tish to wrap things up well thank you dr taylor to thank everybody for listening but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the rugby league republic we are your hosts tish and dr t join us next time on the rugby league republic bye for now (laughs) 